2: Talk is about to begin.
0: Hey, hey, hey! Come on in. Welcome back to your post-game Buckeye Talk. Happy New Year, Doug Murray, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, talking about Ohio State's 42-41 loss to the Georgia Bulldogs in the Peach Bowl in the College Football Playoff semifinal. We are back in our hotel. It is 3:45 in the morning, and we are starting this post-game podcast. And we're not sure how long we'll go and what we'll get into, but guess what? We didn't have nine months to cover everything that we don't cover tonight. I want to start here, Nathan. This Ohio State team, loss at home to Michigan, giving up big plays, two big runs late, offense inefficient, stalling in the second half. Um, I think I used the phrase, the Michigan loss almost broke the Ohio State program in one of the stories I wrote. And I think that goes for the program and the fan base. And they get this second life and there was someone I was talking to at the Woody in December and like they said, the only thing you can do is win. Like that's it. So they almost won. They almost won. What did this night mean for the Ohio State football program? And let's not go to the fans yet because I want to end with the fans and what our texters and our listeners are thinking. But what do you think – how does this send Ohio State into the offseason compared to what maybe losing to Michigan and then going to the Rose Bowl and playing Utah again might have done for this program? How do you view this night?
2: Fantastic question. It's hard to answer on behalf of the entire program in some ways. So maybe that's actually the best answer that you – is this the kind of loss where you say, listen – we were one point shy against what might be the, the best program in college. Well, Georgia Georgia's the best program in college football right now. And we are one point shy. We had a field goal, a not-give-me-give-me-field goal to win it at the end. We did almost. You did almost everything you needed to do. You just come up short against a great team. And you proved clearly that you were one of the four best teams in the country when that was very much in doubt after the second half of the Michigan game. So does, is that the thing that you take out of this? Maybe in time, certainly not tonight. It's it's certainly nothing anybody in that locker room is thinking about tonight. Or can it be uh, – fracturing might not be the right word, but it's like right now in this program you have an, an offense that, that did enough to win and a defense that um couldn't get it done these last two games in, in pretty substantial ways. And uh, this does not seem like a team, at least outwardly, that points fingers. But there are clearly things that have to be addressed on the defensive side more than the offensive side in this program right now. And that's still true after a year of Jim Knowles and what happens between now and August that allows Ohio State to take the next step and and not um, and not be in this situation where they're just chasing so many guys to the end zone on big plays as they were these last two weeks.
0: So, Stephen, the thing that I really like I'm the most curious about is, is it a significant difference of where this program is from the Michigan loss to this loss. Like you're you're done with a loss. You lost. Is that and that now it's two losses in a row? Right? You, Ohio State ends the season on a two-game losing streak. Is it similar? Well, obviously, sort of like the way they lost was somewhat significantly different. Does that mean the outcome, the, the, the fallout is different? Or is it like, no, this was a team that people thought was a national championship caliber team and they lost their last two games of the year.
1: I wouldn't say similar is the word I would use. I think defensively maybe it was similar because some of the same issues popped up. But I think unlike the last, let's just say, the last two Ohio State losses, the offense did what it was supposed to do. And that's in the Michigan lock in, loss and in the Oregon loss, uh, dating back to last season, so maybe the last three losses before tonight, the offense also wasn't holding up its end of the bargain. And so as much as you wanted to go defense, 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 it's like, yeah, but this offense is supposed to score 40-plus points a game. Why does it only have 21? Why does it only have 27? Well, Ryan Day, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison, uh, Macabuka, they did what they were supposed to do today. So now it is on you just paid a $2 million defensive coordinator, and in the two games where he's supposed to make that $2 million – he gave up forty plus points to teams who have been scoring forty plus all year.
0: So I do think it is this is an offense first program run by an offense first head coach. And Steven, I think you make a good point that, you know, as much as the big plays defensively were a huge problem against Michigan, that three points in the second half. when we got everybody saw that, right? That's an issue too. What but wasn't aggressive enough. Why were things stalling? I think this is a pretty wide gap in how they will feel going into the offseason. Now, when you get back to, okay, you got to beat your rival. When they get back to the Michigan conversation, they're not going to feel good about the rivalry part of the program. But the rest of the program, right, I think there's a lot here. And I do think this is the kind – You talk to next year's team and you say, we were as good. And both Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud in the postgame news conference said, we feel like we should have won. And I don't think that's coach speak or lip service. Like, I think they should feel like they should have won. They were as good as Georgia. I think that's fair to say. Does Georgia have a little edge in gutting it out, reaching for something extra, being there before? I think that's real. But from sort of a talent standpoint, I don't think Ohio State took a backseat to Georgia on Saturday night. So I think you can go into this offseason and say, look, if we don't make these mistakes, we win. If we don't make these mistakes, we're as good as anybody in the country. And I, you, you couldn't say that after Michigan, right? Even though they gave it the big plays, it's a toughness discussion. It's just, why isn't this offense stepping up and leading the way discussion? And for an offense-first program, I thought that was pretty significantly important. So I think, and I was hanging out a little bit afterward and talking, I think that's real. And it's one of those things you can't – so we split it up post-game. There's locker room stuff. There's a little side interview room. And you guys did a lot of good reporting there. I went to the main news conference, and that's all I did. And that was C.J. Stroud, Ryan Day, and Zach Harrison. And Zach Harrison only got one question. So it was a lot of C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day. And I think there was – they believe they believe in themselves more after this game. They're mad. They don't accept it. They feel like they should have won. They're ticked off, Nathan. But I think that was a, a real thing which then narrows the scope a little bit. So you go into this offseason, and a year ago, you knew going into the offseason, I mean, they they basically, they got rid of the defensive coordinator in the middle of the year. You knew there was wholesale changes coming. That's not where this team is, Nathan. But I think you look at very specifically, big plays against great opponents are ruining their chances of winning. And that is... The number one thing this team has to focus on, that is a philosophical discussion with Jim Knowles and the defensive staff, and certainly Ryan Day will lead that discussion. Philosophically, what are we doing? There might be schematic adjustments. There might be specific positions in the transfer portal or those kind of things. I think there is a more specific thing to dig down on, Nathan, which is this wasn't good enough, but it's not as much of a blow like a, to the whole program of like, We're not good enough. Tonight, and it's not to assign blame, but I think Ohio State collectively, was Ohio State good enough against Georgia? Good enough to win? Yes. Was Ohio State collectively good enough against Michigan again this year to win? No. So then why did this Ohio State version lose this Georgia game? Let's drill down on the specifics. I think that's a different place. There's going to be a lot of rivalry discussion and they have to improve rivalry things. But I think the football narrowed and I think that was good. And I think it'll make the offseason different. But then, Nathan, like, they got to do something, right? They got to do something about these big plays on defense. Uh,
2: Yeah. But I think also, you know, who comes out of this game thinking we got to do something about all these big plays on defense? Georgia. Like, they gave up 13 explosive plays yeah. and three of them went for touchdowns. Like, that's how narrow this was. Like, this... When great teams play great teams, a great team is going to lose. And I think that's what happened tonight. To some extent, that's what happened against Michigan, too. It was just like you said. It was a it was a wider differential. But I I, I I think you're right that it is important because I wondered coming out of that Michigan game how broken they might be from a confidence standpoint because you when you do so much and put so much into a game and feel like you've improved in so many important ways and feel like you've demonstrated yourself offensively, you got past the – The Jackson Smith, the Jigba injury, you got through all of the running back clunkiness and here you are, you're 11 and 0 and you're still putting up a ton of points and then it all just kind of fizzles. And I wondered how they would come back from that. I think I, I tried to ask that question tonight to some guys in the locker room. Like, do you feel like you, you proved something tonight? You know, I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but there was a lot of like rejection of that. Like the, Hey, we weren't trying to prove anything to anybody. But clearly, they did like I said before, I think they did. You don't have any question coming out of this game whether Ohio State belongs on the same field as Georgia, whether Ohio State could beat Georgia on a given night, whether Ohio State deserved to be in this playoff. I think that was answered tonight. They do have to fix the defensive deficiencies, but like I said, like it's a one point game like you it's it's very narrow. the margin of how close we came. To talking about this being a great victory and that Ohio State is now set up to, you know, to be favored to win the national championship in nine days. Like we were just, we were an eyelash away from that.
0: Stephen, the last time, maybe this is an off-season project. The most heartbreaking losses in Ohio State history. Certainly, this loss and the semifinal loss to Clemson in 2019 are right there in the conversation, and that is a lot of heartbreak in a very short period of time. And I know, you know, we sort of had discussions with people and you make comparisons and people say, I'm sick of that comparison. That doesn't apply here. And Not every part of a comparison is perfect. But, Stephen, in 2019, they played a very good team and had a heartbreaking loss in the final minute. And they came back in a weird year the next year in the COVID year, and they got to play that same team again and they blew them off the field and they made the national championship game. So, again, a little bit of proof of concept. I think that loss in 2019 to Clemson, very disappointing. They absolutely walked away with all the opportunities they blew in the first half, thinking we should have won that game. And what was the fallout? The fallout was they come back, they use it as motivation, and they have a very good year and avenge it and go a step further. Right now, Stephen, that's sort of, to me, how I'm thinking about this team. More like that, not, oh my God. How are they ever going to beat Michigan again? Right now, they have to go back and still solve that. But do you think that – what do you think just from where the program is comparison? Does this compare to 2019 in your mind or not really because that Michigan loss is in there?
1: I think the loss does, yes. Just because, I mean, let's go a little bit further with the comparison. Their best offensive weapon was dominating the entire first half. And then he gets hurt and gets knocked out the game. I mean, J.K. Dobbins in 19, Marvin Harrison in 20 – 22. So it's all um, a targeting call, but not to that extent. But you know, some fumbles are. It's all there. I think the the one difference though is the core of the guys who lost that Clemson game were still coming back. You're losing Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, and 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 uh, sorry, Jordan Fuller, but Justin Field is coming back. Garrett Wilson's coming back. Chris Olave, Wyatt Davis. Uh, you know, Sean. W- There's enough pieces. There of the guys who really, really got impacted by how that game play, played out, coming back to lead that. There's a bit of a reset here. I mean, CJ Stroud's not coming back. Jackson Smith the Jigba wasn't really a part of the season. Trayvon Henderson didn't even play in this game, so he's just kind of a bystander watching from the sideline. And then defensively, I mean, Zach Harrison's not coming back. Ronnie Hick- Hickman's not coming on down the list. There's, there's just two. We're two. There's not enough core guys who were directly impacted by it. Even Noah Ruggles. The guy who was the most impacted, who was the Chris Olave in the situation, he's not coming back. So it's not completely apples to apples, but there is enough there that I don't know if they'll put 42 to 41 up in the woody, but it'll probably be on their minds if we get to a playoff situation next year and it's Georgia and Ohio State. Does it help remind them? Does it
0: help the Michigan factor? Does it remind them, Nathan, of like, let's remember we're good at football. That, I, that was sort of a thing to me of like, this was just football. As I noted, when they talked about Georgia this week, they didn't call them the team down south. They just called them Georgia. There's no history here. They've only played them once before. There's no rivalry. You don't get any pants if you win. There's nothing. It's just football. And when it's just football, they're still pretty good. So is that a reminder, right, of all the things we talked about after the Michigan loss? There's football things and there's intangible things. Is this a, when it's just football? Because, listen, right, there are a lot of comparisons between Michigan and Georgia. It's not like Michigan. Georgia's a physical team. Luke Whippler was standing in there and blocking Jalen Carter, right? They were, they were getting some pressure on, on Stetson Bennett against one of the best off- – Michigan was the best offensive line in the country. Georgia was the second best, according to the Joe Moore Award. They got some pressure on Stetson Bennett. They weren't stymied the whole night. The physical parts of it that people call physical football, Ohio State competed there, and then they were more than they, they did their thing passing the ball. Can it even help with the if if it's a reminder of they're a good football team, will that help them as they try to reset themselves to make sure they don't lose to Michigan three years in a row? Is that valuable on some level? Remember, hey guys, remember, remember how you're kind of good at football? Because sometimes in the Big Ten, I was I was listening to walk around the stadium before the game, and, and a, a person, a TV person, I think, from the South was doing a stand-up, and they were like, oh, you know, Ohio State, they haven't really played anybody this year. They haven't played anybody like Georgia. You know, the Big Ten was down. They didn't, You know, they lost to Michigan. They didn't really beat anybody any good. I guess maybe Penn State's good. And it's like, okay, I don't know. I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all that exactly, but they went toe-to-toe with the best team in the country. Does that help them? realize they can go toe to toe with Michigan.
2: I hope I think it should. And and as someone who, again, when we discussed this before, and I you and I were not on the same wavelength as far as how much Ohio State needs to re-emphasize the sort of emotional or cerebral side of the of the rivalry over the football side of it. I think there's probably lessons to be learned from this to say you know, and it's a it's apples and oranges because you get a week to prepare for Michigan, even though I know they do it year round, and you get a month to prepare for Georgia. But like what what can you take from this experience of this last month and how you prepared for this game to be it's so close to us having the complete to a 180-degree opposite discussion. If 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 Noah Ruggles makes that field goal, I think we're talking again about the explosive plays, but we're probably talking more about other aspects of this game. We're talking about even more about how great C.J. Stroud played in that drive that he let. You know, it's it's that close. It's that close. The, and it wasn't that close against Michigan. Even though we talked about how, yeah, some things got away late in that game. But the vibe of that game wasn't nearly the same. The vibe of this game, if you're watching this, if you're looking at this from the outside, if you're just someone nationally watching this game and you don't have an emotional attachment to either of these teams, I think you, th- I think, you think you watched a hell of a game tonight. You probably watched two. Like that, the TCU Michigan game was outstanding. This was another classic. This was two classic semifinals. You don't always get that in the playoff, and it was that's indicative of what college football was this year. We didn't have the super team. We didn't have somebody that just came out and laid waste to everybody. And Georgia might have been the closest to that, and Ohio State was right there. And that doesn't mean, like I said before, two great teams. A great team has to lose. That doesn't mean you don't scrutinize what led to the loss because we're sure gonna do that tonight. And uh, into the future, because we got we still got five of these to do a week, no matter whether they're still playing games or not. But but keep that perspective. That perspective has to still be here. That you this is at this level. There, there are games during the season where I think losing is not acceptable, almost like under any circumstances. Ohio State had somehow lost that game at Maryland that would have been one where you're like okay well that that's an that's an emergency of a different level. This is yes, you have to correct the things that prevented you from winning this game because this is the this is a level that you ultimately want to play at, should expect to play at and kind of are demanded to play at, but you have to keep the perspective of Georgia feels the same way and one of those two programs is going to lose tonight.
0: All right, you mentioned we got to talk about why they lost. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we wanted to start off with feelings, because feelings matter, and people are very disappointed, rightly so. Football's an emotional game, the season is over, and we're going to see a Georgia TCU National Championship game next Monday. Uh, but we've got to talk about the football, and this is one of those, this is all the caveats, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, we were writing, we were trying to work, we don't have a complete genius analysis of the ins and outs of every single snap. I will say this, and I'm not going to brag on us, but I think we had it right. I think the conversation that we had on the PIX pod, the four of us, when Tishu was on with us, we picked three one-point games and a three-point game. We all saw this as a high, fairly high-scoring to very high-scoring coin flip in a world where a lot of people... We're picking Georgia by two scores. And the line moved down on game day. It was like we, we talked about on the picks pot. It was like six and a half. Maybe was it going to touch seven. Then it started to get to six. Then on game day, it's down to five. It's down to four and a half. The money's coming in, taking Ohio State with the points. If you took the points with Ohio State, you won. To me, there's a little bit of irony in Ohio State kicking, attempting a game-winning field goal at midnight as Ohio is legalizing sports betting at midnight And it's basically a race with the Times Square ball and the football happening at the same time that when the ball landed wide of the goalpost, Ohio State lost, but they simultaneously officially covered in a world where now you can start betting on them, and now that matters. And that's not what everybody was thinking there, but we had this. We had this, and yes, I picked the exact final score, but we had this in a world where a lot of people – A lot of people, Stephen, thought Ohio State was going to get dominated by Georgia. So as we think about this, what were you surprised by in this game, Stephen? Because we want to get into why Ohio State lost, but I just will say I like this game went almost exactly how I thought it was going to go, and I think they lost because you can't have two teams win. Steven, like, what were you surprised by, not surprised by the way this game unfolded?
1: I think that's a really smart way to say this. Can't have two teams win. But it was exactly what we thought it was going to be. I thought, I don't know if this is what I was surprised by, but I thought these were the best two teams in the country. And Michigan just happened to break some big plays. And it changed everybody's perspective. Five plays changed everybody's perspective on what we all knew all season, especially the, by week eight, was that, okay, these are the best two teams and Michigan's probably third, and they're the team that just like, – and TCU looks interesting. But tonight, like, really proved it. I, I It was almost to a tenfold with that situation because – I can't believe how accurate we were with this, all the way down to this is how Ohio State is going to play Georgia if they want to be successful. They didn't run at all. And it was like you look at the run stats and it's like, oh, man, they couldn't run the ball. tonight. It's like, no, they weren't trying to run the ball. They could care less. They are going to launch it, launch it, launch it. And they really only ran the ball when it was second and one or third and one just to keep a drive going so they could get back to what they really wanted to do tonight. So I guess – the thing that shocked me the most was aggressive play calling Ryan Day came back because I don't think we've seen him this aggressive for this long, maybe since that Clemson game in the Sugar Bowl where he was, it's tempo, it's boom, bam, boom. I mean, even that last drive at the end of the first half, how often have we seen them do that where it's, I mean, it was four play 75 yards where it's just go here, go here, go here, go here, go here touchdown. Xavier Johnson, some of the times it's like bubble screen, uh, slant, run the ball. Uh, nothing works, so we're just going to kneel and get out of here. No, they, were, they didn't waste a play for the first three quarters of this game. And it's been a while since we've been able to say that about Day.
0: Nathan, there's something that happened that surprised me that maybe didn't surprise you. You were chuckling to yourself because it's something that we talked about. Were you surprised – the way CJ Stroud scrambled and ran the ball, especially, I mean, like a what almost could have been a game-winning 27-yard scramble at the end, or did you think that would eventually come around? It was an obvious thing that had to happen at some point. That was for him to have, he had 71 positive rushing yards. Now, you add in a bunch of sacks, and he winds up with a net of 34, but he got sacked four times, so, those, so then he had eight runs for 71 yards. Then he had four sacks for
2: minus thirty-seven. What did you think of that aspect of this game, Nathan? So we were joking about his running a lot during this game because early on they ran they ran a let's call it like kind of a zone read uh, a read option for him that he kept and got nothing. And you were kind of like, "See what what are we doing? Like this is." And we were like, "That's not that's not what anybody's been talking about. What they've been talking about for two years now with him." Was to just take the acreage when it when the when the Red Sea parts, uh, which literally I guess was sort of a Red Sea party tonight because it's Georgia. Take that yardage and tonight better than any night in his career. He just took it. Um, now, if probably in some ways maybe it helped that aspect of the game it didn't help Ohio State's offense, but it maybe forced the issue with his legs a little bit that. Kate Stover was out of the game, that his running back situation was uh, weird, that, you know, Marvin Harrison then eventually comes out of the game. And even before he came out of the game, Georgia had adjusted some things and started taking him out. He had five catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns in like the first 20 minutes. And then I don't know if he got targeted again until the play that knocked him out of the game. So I think that all those things might have been a contributing factor here, but You know, we've theorized all along that CJ Stroud could do this, but was either choosing not to or was told not to. So it's possible that, again, this is sort of a a leave it all on the line kind of thing. I don't really think they're worried um, or shouldn't have been worried that him running potentially threatens his NFL career. So this is the it. This is it. Like If you're not going to run tonight to try to play another game, and you can't probably play that next game unless C.J. Stroud's in the, for this entire game anyway, then this is the night to do it. This is the night to just say, screw it and go for it. It seemed like that's what happened a little bit.
0: I do think if you look when he ran the 27-yarder, that's without Marvin on the field. He had a 17-yarder in the fourth quarter without Marvin on the field. I have never thought that it was some kind of mandate. Don't run. I have never thought that it was C.J. Stroud trying to protect his body. And CJ, I think, has talked about this. CJ usually says, I just don't want to run because I believe my guys are going to get open. I'd rather mm-hmm. hang in and let them make the play. Yeah. Yeah. So in a world where Jackson Smith and Jigba has been gone the whole year and Marvin Harrison Jr. is now out and now they can pay all kinds of attention to Mecca Abuka, Stephen, I think that factored into this, that CJ's... CJ's own legs and his own mind are never going to be a primary option because my gosh, why wouldn't I want to throw to these great dudes? But as you take more and more and Cade out of there, and you take more and more of the options away, all of a sudden his own running ability moves up the list of reasonable things to do on this snap. I think that factored into that. And maybe if Marvin's out there, he doesn't need to run 27 yards because he's hitting Marvin for 27 yards. But in the end, I mean, when he – there must have been New Year's Eve parties. People were throwing streamers in the air. C.J. Stroud is running for 27 yards against Georgia in the fourth quarter trying to lead a game-winning drive. I do think there were some specific
1: circumstances, Stephen, though, that led to it. I think it's somewhere in the middle of both of those things. They probably let him off the leash a little bit, but also that that makes a lot of sense. It's like, why would I run – when these dudes are six yards open all the time. I don't need to run. They can run for me. It it shows you one day said, go ahead and do it. But also he shows you how much belief he has in the weapons he has because the thing that was interesting about the running wasn't that he was running, it's that it was immediate. It was almost Justin Fields like with the decision to, not what he was doing when he ran. But before, even in when he's had other moments when he's taken off, It's taken 30 years in in the making to do it. There are screenshots that show up. of Look how many more yards he could have gotten if he had taken off earlier. Saturday night, it was like one, two, no one's open. Back to one, no one's open. I'm gone. Every single time. And he maximized it because of that. How often do we see him just like take off and run with no hesitation? Most of the time it is more just it's until it's blatantly obvious. And then he ends up with some weird run where he doesn't really slide the right way and it looks awkward. Today it was with a purpose and he was almost like trying to force himself to get more yards. So again, in the, in the, in the, big scheme of
0: things, the fact that Ohio state moved the ball consistently on Georgia, the fact that Georgia moved the ball consistently on Ohio state, Georgia threw to its running back. We knew they were going to throw to tight ends. It was weird that both tight ends two tight ends for each team got hurt. Cade Stover very early in the game, Darnell Washington very early in the game that left only Brock Bowers, who, as you had have made the point, Nathan, like was fine, but didn't dominate Ohio State. Four catches for 64. They hit a couple deep shots. Um, Georgia did the 76-yard touchdown, especially. But it felt like the Ohio State style of game that they needed. We had sort of had a discussion, well, could they win a game in the 20s? Well, maybe not. Maybe they could. A game in the 40s felt like an Ohio State game. But two things, Nathan. Let's start with this. When Georgia takes over late, whatever it is, three minutes left, and now Georgia is down six and needs to drive for the game-winning touchdown. Did you think Georgia was going to do that?
2: Yeah, I thought that. I think there was two forty-nine left, and really the only question in my mind was how fast would they score that touchdown, and would Ohio State have enough time to come down and try to kick a field goal? That's just the way that that game had turned, and that's a little bit unfair because, and I don't know how much we'll talk about this tonight, but like that third quarter. Ohio State played great defense, like great, like full stop. Like, I don't, you can't argue. That was the like the best defensive quarter of the season for Ohio State. I think they gave up uh, 32 yards on 11 plays in the third quarter, and then they gave up 10.2 yards per play the rest of the game. It's it's a weird little Bermuda Triangle-like strange little spot of great defense that almost carried into the fourth quarter. Lathan Ransom makes the stop on Bowers, but it's a half yard too far, and... Georgia keeps that drive alive. But yeah, that, at the end, the way that things, just the way the things it started trending again. that's the vibe of the game. It felt like Georgia knew it could go on the field and get a touchdown anytime it wanted. So the question was going to be, um, you know, and you could even say like, they can't worry about this. They have to score as fast as they can, but they gave Ohio State plenty of time to do what it thought it pr- could probably do, which is like, Wait, 54 seconds and two timeouts? We've only got to go like 50 yards? Yeah, we'll take that. You would almost take that trade if you're Ohio State. It's like, well, if we have to give up a score, but we're going to get that much time left with C.J. Stroud to go down and get a field goal, I think they take that.
0: Five plays, 72 yards, all Stetson Bennett passes on the game-winning Georgia touchdown drive. Two yards to the running back, 15 yards to the tight end, 35 yards to the receiver, five yards to the running back, 10 yards to the receiver. For a touchdown, Stephen, what did you think? Did you think Georgia
1: was marching in? Yeah, and Nathan's point, I think sometimes you, you see some something where it's like, it's just better to let the team score so you can get the ball back as quickly as possible, especially when your offense is, is moving the way honestly, its offense was moving. It's like, okay, they scored, and we're going to go do the same thing because we've been doing it all night. The problem is they lost a lot of weapons, so you're not doing it with the same – I thought as soon as they got the ball, oh, it's going to be the exact same efficiency that they had at the end of the first half. Except, oh wait, yeah, they're missing Marvin Harrison, which mean, and they're also missing Jackson Smith and Jigba. We're not really sure what's going on with the running back situation right now. Plus, it's just a different situation because it is the end of the game. So, uh, taking away, I, I don't think I considered some of those variables. I just thought, oh, they've been efficient at this all night. Why can't they go do it again?
2: I want to point out real quick. As much fun as we've had at with. Stetson Bennett, the fourth over these past two years Uh, (laughs) earlier. Well, but even like the other thing is as, as far as like our accurate analysis before the game of this, Doug, I can't remember if you credited someone on the Georgia side for bringing up the the way that Georgia recalibrates Stetson Bennett during a game. He throws that pick to steel chambers in the second quarter, I guess it was. And like immediately after that, Georgia gets the ball back and it's just run, 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 run. Like you could tell it all that stuff that we had talked about earlier in the week was playing out like to a T. It was exactly what we talked about, except then with the the season on the line, like a mini dynasty on the line. They put the ball instead to Bennett's hands and he makes five passes and goes 72 yards and wins a game. Like so, you know. Credit where credit's due, out, right? man. I'm, he's credit where credit's due.
0: He can get loose in the moment. And again, that's kind of just like my theory of like Stetson take a timeout. But they do a really good job with that. But then when he gets his confidence back, man, he balled out at the end. So so the issue is this in the end, right? Ohio State had a bad defense last year. They went out and hired the best, most expensive defensive coordinator they could find. And with a playoff game on the line, Ohio State had a six-point lead. The opponents came on the field and all of us thought, well, they're definitely going to score. Is that a problem or is that just college football? This is the best. Georgia has the best defense in the country and Ohio State threw a hole over Ohio State put up 41 and it probably could have been more. So is this just. Life at the highest level, Stephen. Is this why Ryan Day says you got to score forty to win playoff games? This is how it goes. That the the edges to the offense, especially in perfect conditions indoors, or does this make us think like, man? I thought like this is what they were paying for to do this. As I said, I thought when they got the two stops, they did not force a punt in the first half. They forced punts on the first two drives of the second half for Georgia. I thought that's what they paid for. I think I texted that's what they paid for. Whatever you think, where they rank, whatever, that's it. That was it. And then at the end, Steven, it was like, this is what they're paying for, and they didn't get it. Is this like a problem with the Ohio State defense, or is it just college football?
1: That's how it goes. Both. Um, I think there there were some moments in there that third quarter when they were getting three. It was three and out, three and out, uh, three and out uh, fourth down stop, fourth down stop. That's what you're paying for because at the same time, Ohio State's scoring points. But I do think there are also times when it's third and 10 and Ohio State doesn't get off the field and then Georgia makes them pay for it. It's second, it's first and down. They they get a tackle for a loss or a sack. I can't remember which one it was. So it's second and 17th. So Georgia has to work its way back to third and 10. You need to get off the field. Your offense is bubbling. I don't think they scored 41 points, so this is probably weird to say. I don't think Jim Knowles did a good job of letting Ryan Day cook on Saturday because it always got to the point of bubble. It's 21-7, and I have been a firm believer of Ohio State is very dangerous if they're up 14 points and they get the ball back. I don't care who they're playing because now they can do anything they want, and the defense knows it because the defense knows if they score again, it's probably over. 21-7. Ryan Day doesn't get the ball back up 21-7 to uh, because Georgia goes down and scores. I don't think they did it. and It wasn't working in tandem. It was like the defense had good moments and then the offense had good moments, but it never felt complimentary. And so that's maybe where I blame Jim Knowles the most. It's in these opportunities that probably are a little small right now because it's more game to play. You're gonna look back on oh, what if they had got off the field here, or what if they had got off the field there? That's a few less plays that C.J. Stroud sitting on the sideline, and maybe he throws one more touchdown pass because all that stuff adds up. But the other side of that is, (laughs) I understand that when Ryan Day pressed the reset button on the defensive coaching staff when he first got here, it worked. There is not Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, who were just waiting for a competent head coach, a competent coach to know what to do with them. Jim, though, no, JT Tui Maloao oh, wow, is probably going to be awesome next year, but he is a sophomore. He is not what Chase Young was as a junior. And he shouldn't have to be. He's 20 years old, still growing into that. Denzel Burke, we've always expected him to be more than what he actually was. And then Jordan Hancock, who maybe should be that, has been hurt all year. There wasn't a Jordan Fuller. Maybe Ronnie Hickman could have been that, but not necessarily that. Even as good as Tommy Eichenberg has been, let's be Malik Harrison or Tommy Eikenberg. I think we all take Malik Harrison in that situation. And so there is still this Ohio State is still paying for the Tabor Johnson's lack of recruiting and development, the Alex Grinch lack of recruiting and development. And we're the portal supposed to be fixing that, but it's not really fixing it. So it is that combination of maybe there were some bad decisions made in this game, but also look at Georgia's personnel on defense and look at Ohio State's personnel on defense. It's night and day outside of maybe. Jack Sawyer, JT Tumalow, Zach Harrison, Mike Hall when it comes to just recruiting pedigree. And then Sonny Styles, who is 18 years old, just turned 18 a month ago and isn't even supposed to be here yet. I want to make a and quick point. And, who, and who played
2: in this game. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make a quick point about the, the complimentary thing, because I think this is important. Again, in that third quarter, when Georgia was doing nothing and was getting like, how State essentially had two three and outs and then another third down stop to force a punt because the second time the second three and out was on a conventional three and out but they made georgia attempt a 52 yard field goal that they missed but ohio state's last touchdown in this game and this is, seems hard to believe the last touchdown ohio state scored in this game came with 10 37 left in the third quarter and they had two field goals after that when did marvin harrison go out right there right right about then if marvin harrison
0: doesn't get hurt do they win this game nathan
2: I think yes. Steven, do they win? I mean, it's yep. easy to say, but yeah, I think...
1: No, y- yes. it's it's. I know it's easy to say, but there were some plays that they ran where it's like, that's supposed to be Marvin Harrison and he makes that catch, because we've seen him I mean, actually make the catch.
2: So they score the touchdown with ten thirty seven left in the third. No Ruggles kicked a 25-yard field goal with 31 seconds left in the third. Those other 10 minutes, Georgia wasn't really doing anything offensively. They weren't putting points up. And... So I think, again, it's – I mean, Ohio State scored 41 points, but I bet they can find the place where if they they could have got the one, the two that they needed somewhere earlier in that game.
0: So Ohio State scores that touchdown, as you mentioned, to go up 35-24. Their next possession, they, uh, CJ takes a sack on second down to make it third and 12, and then they get an illegal substitution. Actually, that was, though, Georgia punted them deep, even though it was like you start you force Georgia into a punt. Georgia did a pretty good good job flipping field position there because they punt Ohio State down to the 10, and I think Ohio State maybe isn't running its full package of stuff. They're not at the two-yard line, but they're pinned a little bit in in their own end zone, Um, and they wind up punting it back, and then they have the missed field goal attempt, and then this is the drive. The next drive. So they had one bad drive in there. They scored a touchdown. They have one empty drive. I'm
2: sorry, it was, it was, it was it was before that field goal at the end of the third quarter that Harrison got hurt. It was the end of the third quarter where he right. got hurt.
0: So so the empty drive, it, they still have Marvin Harrison that leads to a punt. And right. then the next drive is the one where Marvin gets hurt on like the ninth play on the CJ scramble and third of the end zone, but they move the ball pretty effectively. And they get first and goal at the 10. Then it's second and goal at the seven. And then third and goal, Sujais gets the pressure, throws it to Marvin. Marvin takes the hit, and they get held to the field goal there. So there was really only one bad drive, right, that's like a quick punt. And then they marched on the next one and got stopped in the red zone. And then Marvin got hurt. And so Ryan Day was asked about that, and he said, certainly losing Marvin had an effect, right? I mean, what's he going to say? But you could see it, Steven. I think you could see it late. It just – They're just short enough on dudes. They were using Xavier Johnson as a running back legitimately. It was interesting, and we'll talk about that in a second, how many different running backs they used. But at the end of the game, I think they maybe would have wanted to use Xavier Johnson as a running back, except they were playing Xavier Johnson instead of Marvin Harrison Jr., so he couldn't play running back because he had to play receiver. And I think you could miss just the obviousness of he's awesome. And Georgia had a lot of problems covering him. And then when they focused on covering him, it opened everything else up. But also just like from a body, a, a collection of talent standpoint, mm-hmm. when you're already playing Joe Royer instead of Cade Stover, when you're already playing true freshman Dallin Hayden instead of Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, Mayan wasn't himself. He tried to go, but that the, the ankle absolutely still affected what he was trying to do. He was not able to be the full Mayan, which we thought maybe would be the case. You don't have Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then now you're down – Marvin Harrison and Xavier, Jett, like you're running out of people, Stephen. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's and, and plus, Evan Pryor. And again, like you always said, Evan Pryor is yeah. already out. You're playing a linebacker at running back, you're out of guys to some degree. And the result is you can't do the full complement of things. So I think Marvin losing Marvin helped in two ways one, because he's an All American, and two, just because he's a starting receiver. And then you had to put in a backup receiver who, also, frankly, was almost your starting running back at that point. It obviously
1: really hurt. I don't think it's too much to say if he's healthy they win. It's just how many times can you lose the guy your game plan is built around? Yeah. I mean there's I, listen, I get it. They make a lot of money. This is their job, but you can only ask anybody to do that so many times. You can, you know, if you come up with a story idea and it falls through, you can only have a story idea fall through so many times in a season before it's like, well, "What do you want me to do?" I revised it 7 different times and it's just not it's not happening for me. You lose Jackson, that's who your entire game plan is for. Okay, fine. You spend basically eight or nine weeks trying to come back from that. And then it's like, oh, you lost Travion Henderson, who might have been one of the three best running backs in the country coming into the season because he's in and out every year. And the guy who's supposed to be his equal, at least you think so, Myron Williams, he's in and out with him the entire time. And then the guy you think can force his way on the field with both of them, even though we haven't seen it, Evan Pryor, you lost him before the season even started. Okay, Cool. That's even before we got to the playoff. And then we get to the playoff. Marvin Harrison's been awesome. And then you lose him, which, quite frankly, I don't know if C.J. Stroud purposely put that ball where Marvin Harrison was or not. But if he did, that's a heck of a throw because there was a lot of people. I mean, it was right where – that's a touchdown. Like, that's – Hit him in the hands. Oh. Threw a balloon from 30 yards away and hit
0: him in the hands.
1: While running backwards away from – People who are too that's that's special. That that he's had some special throws. That's that oh, that might be the mo- most special thing I've ever seen him do if he did it on purpose and wasn't just trying to throw the ball away no, and I, didn't get it there. Well, no, no, no. I, I, it's
0: a thousand percent on purpose. He saw him there, he knew. It was I
1: can't believe and the thing is I can believe it because he's pinpointed passes just like that all the time. I'm, Go ahead.
2: I was on the broadcast, they're like, Oh, he's just throwing the ball away <laughs> and then, <and> then Harris <laughs> goes up and they're like, Oh, wait a second.
1: Like, if they don't want it he'd be like, yo, CJ, did you do that on purpose? And he'd be like, yeah, but I probably should have, you know, did it a little bit better so, like, Robert didn't get hurt, you know. But, and then you lose Cade Stober. So now you're playing, they're playing musical chairs with the tight end room. Sam Hart has no idea what he's doing because he has to play. Joe Royer's been hurt all year. And now he's playing meaningful snaps in the Peach Bowl. Dallin Hayden's your running back, but not really Chip Trainum. It was, like, representing your running backs on Tuesday, but he didn't really play that much. Xavier Johnson's hopping from room to room. He's basically your Debo Samuel. I mean, the fact that they only lost by one point is impressive enough. I, I do think that Cade Stover absence really, 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 really,
0: really, really, really hurt him, too. You saw the lack of depth at tight end. Yeah. And we, I mean, frankly, this is, you know, we talk about this every recruiting cycle. They have not hit at tight end. No. which is why they were trying to make a linebacker play tight end. And it's just the reality, but it's like they don't have – and Mitch Rossi is not really a tight end. Mitch Rossi is not an every-down tight end in a playoff game. He's like an H-back, fullback can do some tight end things. And so they didn't really have a backup tight end. And – That really hurt them today because it's it's not the fault of the guys; they just weren't prepared to do it. And this is why they're trying to get it. They try to get a tight end in the portal. I've heard things about their. They've tried to get other tight ends to see if they might be interested in coming to Ohio State. Uh, I wonder if Jelani Thurman will have a chance to have an impact right away next year. They just were really they got short there. And again, we may as well talk about the running back stuff. Chip Trainum wound up not getting a carry. Dallin Hayden nine for forty three. Xavier Johnson six for twenty eight. Mayan Williams three for eight. And then CJ ran 12 times, four of them were sacks, eight of them were runs, and then Mecca Abuka ran twice. Again, Nathan, like I was very happy that they didn't overdo it. That they only handed to the uh, they handed the ball to the running backs, um what can I do math? 18 times, right? Which which that was fine with me. Like that's th- there's no reason to do more than that. As Steven said, I think the idea that they didn't waste a the play, they didn't just hand off to the running back just to hand off on first down to see if you might get seven and actually get three. So they do 18 hands off handoffs to running backs among their 66 plays. So that, that's, that might even be too much. The 18 might be too much, but I do think the, it just ended up, they just were a little short. Cause it's again, it's not only competence, Nathan, I was watching Bama. It's not the first time I thought, I thought this you watch Bama, you watch Jameer Gibbs, what Jameer Gibbs does for Alabama. Bryce Young played like a champion in that game for Alabama, the sugar bowl, but there's a play. Like they just hand up Jameer Gibbs transfer from Georgia. Like they hand the ball to Jameer Gibbs. He's supposed to run up the middle. Like there's nothing there. And he just cuts it to the outside runs like 21 yards. It's like, it's all him out of nothing. And it's like, how often did we see that did back? Cause when you have great backs, backs will just do stuff sometimes. And it's like, Oh, that was all him. That wasn't even where the hole was supposed to be. We missed this block and it didn't matter. And beyond like the competence, like, I thought in the end, like, Chip Traynham played well against Michigan. It was competent. This, the run game didn't kill him on Saturday night, but there was no explosion. There's, I mean, there's not, and it's not the fault of the guys who were there. It's because of the injuries. And then it really does make you one-dimensional. But I like the idea, Nathan, that they acknowledged they were one-dimensional and they leaned on the dimension where they are explosive. And so I will stop having the conversation next year when they have healthy, good running backs again. But this is what I was waiting for all year. Stop trying. Steven, that's what you've been waiting for. Stop trying. Stop trying. It's not your fault, but you can't do it. So give up. So I thought they did a good job with that, and it kept them in the game. But Nathan, man, it's just the reality. What's a a healthy Trevion Henderson do in this game?
2: I mean, well, yeah, but you you, you only had the three carries. But when they needed him in to get two really tough yards and get a touchdown, he did that. I think that's, we should remember that, but the, the, uh, the he the got the
0: touchdown thing. on his own. That, that was not there. And he ran right. through a guy to right. get in the end zone. did.
2: When he had to grind and get those two yards and maybe that cost him. Cause I, that might've been the last time he carried. I can't remember, but like that, he got it. And there were only two. Non sacks in this game. I believe where Ohio state lost yardage. And that's been a, I haven't. I can't. I haven't gone back to like add up. If you take away that two yard run, you're not going to find very many plays carries in this game that were just stagnant. Now they did have the, the the one yard loss by Hayden though on the last series that they're driving for the field goal. That's the C.J. Stroud I think had one run that lost yardage, and then Hayden had that one late. That was it. And when I've talked about you know what I think of the run game before that's kind of been my point that it, when they stagnate with the run game, it stagnates his whole offense i don't care who your receivers and your quarterback are now when they're in disadvantageous positions on second and third down, even middling big ten teams can take advantage of that, let alone a team like Georgia. But for the most part tonight they avoided those those little zero one two if they were going to run the ball, they were able to get something at least three yards out of it, get some kind of progress towards that first down that keeps the team on the field. I said to you after the game that for a game where there were 83 points scored, third down was like meaningless almost. Ohio State was like four of 12. And if you told me going into the game, I would have thought that that meant bad things for them. Georgia was the one of the best third down defenses in the country. And Georgia only converted two of 10 third downs in this game. But it didn't matter because really this game was one on first and second downs, the explosive plays that were happening there.
0: So I want to I get back to a little bit of a conversation about the defensive personnel, but that's, that's since you mentioned the Hayden one-yard loss. The last three plays after the 27-yard run by C.J. Stroud down to the 31-yard line, they go Dallin Hayden run for a loss of one. They try to run a slant to Xavier Johnson. It hits off somebody and pops in the air and is one of those balls that could have been picked. And then the last one is they call a pass and it's not there and C.J. throws it out of bounds which leads to a 50-yard field goal attempt. I think, Stephen, that that, those three plays will be analyzed for a very long time because the first three plays in the drive were pretty successful. They gained 40-plus yards, mostly because CJ took off, and then they stagnated. I think a lot of the offensive absences that we are discussing contributed to that. I said I, I think maybe they would be handing the ball to Xavier Johnson there if Xavier Johnson wasn't having to play Marvin Harrison's position. What? Is that a like it It didn't work? So it's a failure by definition, Stephen. It didn't work. They got to the 31 yard line and they went backwards and then they wound up kicking it. And, and then here's the thing I've seen some stuff on Twitter about like, hey, people leave Noah Ruggles alone and it's not his fault. That is not a field goal that I expected him to make. It's a 50 yard no. field goal for a college kicker. He's never made a kick that long, Nathan, as you no. pointed out.
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, 0 for 3 in his career, 0 for 1. This season, he didn't even attempt one last year for Haw State. So like a 50-yard field goal, I do not think there
0: is an expectation there. Now, it's, it's possible, but I, I was not expecting him to make it because that's not really who he is or what he does. What he does, he's very good at. And I thought like, oh, they, get, they can make it a 40-yard field goal. I think they'd feel really good about him kicking that. And they couldn't. It was, it was a 50-yard field goal. What should they have done better, Stephen, in those final three plays? Is it did did Ryan Day turtle up? Were they just trying to make sure they didn't get take a sack, you know, or or have a disastrous play? How do you what how and we'll have a conversation about these three plays. We'll analyze them more. People ask questions a lot. What's your gut reaction on those last three plays?
1: What's the alternative in that situation? Um I, I think Day was just trying to inch closer at that point because I mean you're down options and at that point they're probably keying in on Amecha Ibuka because that's what happens as soon as Marvin Harrison got going and they said oh wait we should probably pay attention to number 18 Amecha Ibuka got going and then once he got going Julian Fleming got going but when you take out the piece that you know starts all of that you know, it makes it a little bit easier to take away Matt Kibuka and Julian Fleming. So if they're getting all the attention, that's part of the reason C.J. Stry was able to run some, for that 27 yards. Is to pay, I mean, one, it was like four verts. And also, you know, they were paying more attention to the receivers than, than him running. But I think that, I, it's the cop-out answer, but he may have just exhausted all of his options at that point. Because it, to be completely real with you, his only other option in that situation maybe would have just gone four verts again and going, hey, C.J., just, like, take off for a little bit um, if there's nothing's there. Take off for, like, seven yards and then slide, and then we'll do it one more time, and then we'll send Noah out there. But that's not – eventually, C.J. ran today. That was great. I thought all – he had four sacks, so all eight of his actual purposeful runs, for the, especially the scrambles, were magnificent. They were needed. Any more than that, you start getting in the territory where it's going to come back to bite you in the butt. And I don't, I don't think – I don't think it would have been smart for Ryan Day to just live with that. And, and you can't the, take a sack there. You can't you take can. a sack there. You can't yeah. take
2: that. And, and the yardage that C.J. Stroud, and he almost did take a sack on third down. Or he had to get out of taking a sack on third down. But, I mean, the yardage he got tonight was an extension of the pass game. It had nothing to do with the running game. It's it's all an extension of the passing game. I, I've been trying to th- – I'm thinking about this a lot since that sequence played out. And if you're Georgia's defense, or if you're Georgia's defensive coordinator, Kirby Smart, whoever, like – what do you think Ohio State is going to do in that spot? Like doesn't I think that was a little bit maybe what Ryan Day was thinking there that the run might actually catch them by surprise a little bit. And and again, if like if he gets 4 yards or 3 instead of minus 1, it changes a lot of things that happened at the end of this game, man. It just does. It changes the next play that you call. Maybe on the next play you're calling a more conservative pass, but knowing that you only need to get five or six yards instead of 10 or 11 and it a lot of things like it's and you'd have to go back and look at that play to see how close it was to to being that I don't think it was especially close but uh I I, it's hard for me to second guess that play call that much
0: Ryan Day said he does not regret the run call you know he said during the course of the game there's there's plays he wishes he could add back but asked specifically about that call he said he does not regret it in a perfect world where all he all the guys are out there, you know what I think he probably very possibly does on that first down after the CJ run. I think he throws it to Cade Stover mm-hmm. like not I don't even think it might have been Marvin. It mm-hmm. might have been like let's have the double cover Marvin and let's run a little route like underneath Marvin and throw it to Cade for six yards you know like again, just the idea of the depth of guys that they were missing it's not an excuse you you've, you've got to do more you've got to do more. But it's a reality of they were trying to do it with Mitch Rossi, Joe Royer, Xavier Johnson and Dallin Hayden. I said at the beginning of the year we were saying that oh hey, we like to play these games in the off season. We should this is going to this could be a new game we can play. What's the craziest combination of skill players that you could come up with to have on the field in the fourth quarter of a playoff game on a gotta have it scoring drive. It's like okay, uh, I'm going to go with um you know, I'll take the true freshman running back, who's fourth string right now. I'll do him. I'll do. Um, I don't know that walk-on guy. What should I make him? The running back or a receiver? What if I make him both? Xavier Johnson was like Curtis Samuel Light tonight. Unbelievable, <laughs> Xavier Johnson, man. I, and again, he caught a touchdown pass. He, Nathan, we were talking. He caught a touchdown pass versus Notre Dame. He catches the touchdown pass right before halftime. It felt like a like a dagger shot. It's like, oh, we need this. Who do you go? Who you go to? Go to X.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, it's, I, I'm, not trying to make, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to make Ohio State fans like feel, but it's just that Georgia's defensive coordinator also gave up an explosive touchdown to Xavier Johnson tonight. So remember that in your criticism of Jim Knowles. No offense to Xavier Johnson.
0: So I want to talk about the defensive personnel, Stephen, that you brought up earlier. So I do think, listen, I mean, we always tell you what we think, but sometimes you think something and then I think stuff starts to go pretty well. So you're like, I don't know. Maybe I don't think that anymore. And then it's like, oh, uh, maybe I do think that this is not a defense still like, especially in the back seven filled with five star All-American future first round pick talent. And that's not a criticism of any of the guys on the field because they earn starting jobs. And in earning starting jobs, they helped Ohio State make the playoff pretty good. But I think in a game like this, Stephen, and again, like they got decent pressure on Stetson Bennett, but there wasn't, you know, Zach Harrison had a big sack, right? I mean, they they got after him a little bit, but there wasn't anybody we were sort of talking about because someone on the defensive line dominated. I don't think anyone on the defensive line dominated. Tyleek Williams batted a pass down, right? Ty Hamilton, I think, had a pressure at one point. I don't think anybody dominated. As you said, Stephen, there was no Chase Young out there. And then in the back seven, I just think honestly – as you were talking about, Steven, they I think from a pure talent standpoint, they aren't s- still up to the Ohio State standard. And maybe Sonny Styles probably played about 25 plays tonight. He had a real role. Maybe in a world where Sonny Styles could be a starter next year, CJ Hicks could be a starter next year. I th- think maybe they could use a portal corner. You know? So in a world of say that you next year you're starting Sonny Hicks, CJ uh Sonny Styles, CJ Hicks, Stephen and a transfer portal corner. That, to me, is a step forward, and I think tonight it, there were times where it was like down to down, every snap, they still, they might not quite be where they need to be.
1: So the front and the back end work together. Every defensive lineman and every cornerback will tell you that. You don't have great defensive line play without great cornerback play. That's why if you get – I mean, you got Aaron Donald, you've got Jalen Ramsey. Right, that's that's how this works. We haven't seen good cornerback play and we haven't seen sacks. The last time we saw elite cornerback play, we saw sacks. Jeff Okuda, elite corner, Chase Young getting sacks. Uh Nick Bosa getting the Sam Hupper, that whole regime getting sacks. Marshawn Lattimore, um uh Gary I mean This is how this goes here. Even Joey Bosa. I mean, they had Von Bell back there. uh, Eli Apple. uh, They're on down the list here. There was always a first-round corner and a first-round defensive end. They need to go get a dude at cornerback. And maybe that opens up and unlocks JT Tuimolo out and and Jack Sawyer next season. And maybe even Mike Hall, even on the interior, just because – I mean, we can say they're not getting sacks and maybe they're not getting home and we can come up with reasons. Well, maybe quarterbacks are just getting rid of the ball fast because of the reputation of Ohio State. But Why are they getting rid of the ball fast? Because the corners don't hold up in coverage. And so they can get rid of the ball fast. You can't ask JT to rush all day when most of the time, I mean, Lathan fell. That happens. It's unfortunate, but he fell. And so it led to a big play. But that's not the only time we've seen a situation where a big play happened because somebody in the secondary fell or just got cooked in coverage or whatnot. So that's – we want to see more production from the defensive line. How about we improve the secondary, and let's see if that helps.
0: They had a true freshman sack, C.J. Stroud, early in the game. He beat Paris Johnson, Michael Williams. You know, he was ranked in his recruiting class, class of 2022, for – I was like, oh my god, that was pretty good for a freshman. He was four. Like,
1: was oh. really good too.
0: So, but I guess again, I mean, Jack and Jack and JT are ranked out high
1: too. So right, anyway, but like, I mean, they just the same thing with their secondary. I mean, Keely Ring was a five. Star, they got five and four stars and top one hundred recruits all in that sec, secondary. So you pair those Valentine's two. Malachi Starks is a true freshman.
0: Malachi Starks is a true freshman. He's like a top 25 national recruit, right? Yeah,
1: so it kind of goes – I mean, he's make. we've seen him make plays all year. So it allows the defensive – and it works together. Yes, you want your defensive line to kind of set that tone, but how about you give them some time to set that tone? You're not always going to get in the backfield in 0.5 seconds.
0: Malachi Starks started all year at safety. You know where he was in class of 22?
2: 19. <sighs> Well, but
0: I mean, a pretty it, good. Nineteenth best player. I mean, he's just crazy. They're five stars all over the place.
2: No, I mean, you're making good points because when you look around Ohio State, I mean, it's it's guys ranked in the 200s. It's guys, you know, it is. I mean, not Tombow Isle, not Sawyer, and not Harrison, but the they they aren't impacting necessarily the way the guys who used to be ranked at that level. That's the point that that Stevens getting to a little bit. But that secondary, um, while it's guys who played pretty well uh, for the most part. Um, especially at safety, these last couple games, maybe some of that showed up.
1: Of the guys who got meaningful snaps in the secondary tonight, can you tell me how many of them were top 100 recruits? Top hundred.
0: Ron- Ron- Ronnie Hickman, just outside of it,
1: just, and he's yep, he's the closest one because Jordan Hancock yeah. and J.K. Johnson didn't play. Yep, I mean
2: Harrison so- was, and Styles was, Vincent was. That's probably who Jose was, yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 yeah.
0: So I mean, this is not they're they're good. They were good, and that's the thing. In the end, and and some people are, I think, are very upset about Jim Knowles. They got better. They were better than last year on defense, but I think we also find out they're not quite good enough to be who they want to be, and that's what showed up in the Michigan game and the Georgia game. So that's progress. They made progress defensively this year. But I even texted during the game of like, hey, what the whole discussion we had a million times in the preseason, not just on this podcast, but we had it like in news conferences with, with Jim Knowles and the players. It was like, do you need to be top 25, top 20, top 10, top five, number one, like everyone's throwing numbers out. And in the end, it was like you just what you needed was a defense who could get a stop on Georgia with three minutes to play in a playoff game. And they didn't have that. So that's what you could use. All right, when we come back, one last thing to talk about, about the possible reaction to this loss from the fans. Next on Buckeye Talk. So listen, we're going to do a bunch more podcasts. This is a new thing. We're going to, like, pretend we did a survey because I looked at the text at one point, the last text we sent. Sometimes it's hard to send text in the middle of the night at the end of games when we're trying to write. And it was like the last one that I had sent, it wasn't a call out for anything, but there were 339 responses. Okay, so I have not looked at them. I have not had time. It's now 4.50 in the morning. I have not gone through the text. I did not send a survey. So I want us to guess what's in there, what's waiting, what's waiting in those texts, Nathan. Oh, Are people – did you read some? No. Okay. Because, again, I know what the Michigan texts were, and they were all F, either F word or fire. So I am curious to go in, but I have not yet. And Nathan, do you think it is closer to, man, they fought, they showed up, I'm really sad and disappointed, they should have called better plays in the last three plays, dang it, they gave up too many big plays defensively, but I'm, I'm glad they fought and looked like a good team, and I'm sad, but I'm not angry. Or is it closer to they blew it? How do you pay $2 million a year for Jim Knowles and you can't get a stop at the end? They were up 14 points in the fourth quarter. They blew it against Georgia and a national title was there for the taking. Which of those two do you think we will get more of?
2: Yes, it'll be more they blew it, and it's justified. Because as much as what I was saying before is true, that when two great teams play, a great team has to lose, Ohio State was the great team that was up 14 points in the fourth quarter and couldn't put it away. And that's what you're judged by, and that's what Jim Knowles would tell you if he was on this podcast too, that when when his team, when his offense gives him a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, his group has to finish that off and not lose the game. They didn't do it. Um, and that's what ultimately this season is going to be judged by. It's you don't get even Ohio state doesn't get that many opportunities to win a national championship and TCU had maybe already done the hard part by upsetting Michigan and maybe had an even more advantageous matchup for Ohio state in the national championship game. We'll never know. Um, and it, they're up 14 points in the fourth quarter. And, and when the, when the defense was playing well, again, to start the second half, like the defense was in its groove and just, and they couldn't finish it off. And I, and that's where, that's where the anger is. So if early in this podcast, if I was the one, if you heard me saying, uh, great, great team has to lose and, and that stuff, know that I understand that the reason justifiably why as an Ohio state fan, you might be more upset is because it wasn't completely back and forth. Ohio state had the game in their control and let that slip away. And that is that has to be discussed. And it's, it's part of how this team should be judged.
0: What do you think, Steven?
1: Closer to they fought or closer to they blew it? I think they fought. But I honestly think you might see people saying both of these things at the same time. Because I think a lot of people gained some respect for Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud today. Because... Maybe if you didn't think that C.J. Stroud had something like this in him, you got proven wrong today. We saw Ryan Day kind of come back to life a little bit. I think a lot of people maybe voiced that sentiment and also said we're paying this dude $2 million. What in God's name is he doing? 14-point lead.
0: Last three drives of the game for Georgia. Field goal. Touchdown. Touchdown. 12 plays, 62 yards. One play, 76 yards. Five plays seventy-two yards. It's two clear marches down the field, although again, uh some credit on that first drive for forcing Georgia to settle for a field goal. It's it's really it's really difficult because I don't even think everybody on Ohio State knew what happened. Latham Ransom fell down on a 76 yard touchdown pass. Like that's the kind of thing it's it's like I don't know if it's Sean Springs slipped. But I think we'll remember that. And it, it's the kind of thing that happens, right? It does happen. And I don't know. It was like the coverage they were in and there wasn't just going to be that much safety help on a deep ball like that. It's not unusual. You know, it's not too much to ask of a player. It wasn't that somebody got turned around in coverage or they ran a some kind of pick route and guys got bumped off or, you know, nobody missed a tackle. It's just a guy fell down and then it was over. And. That's one play, 76 yards, Nathan, in the midst of a fourth quarter, whereas Georgia is storming back to life. And it's just the game sometimes. But I don't know, like, what do you do better there? Like, like how do you like like other than like what's the what's the critique? What do you watch on film? You know, like there's not going to be that help. That help's not going to get there in time. And then sometimes stuff happens. So um I'll be very curious to read what the texters have to say and we will at some point in the next couple days actually survey the texters. If you would want to get in now for some reason you think ah oh, I didn't I didn't get in all year but now that it's over, let's see what these guys have to say. 614-350-3315. Wait. Right. Can't imagine that, but we'll welcome you at any point.
2: Look, there's going to be news coming. There's going to be news about players coming and going. There's going to be news if there's any uh, transfer portal stuff and changes to the coaching staff. I don't know. Things could happen. We don't know. So we text it first. If you, if you've listened to the pod and you, you want that news the most immediate way we text it before we do anything else with it.
0: So that'll do it. 42, 41 attendance of 79,330 at the peach bowl, Ohio state's first time in the peach bowl, Georgia been here seven times. So obviously our first time here at the peach bowl, it was different. Stephen. Steven, Um, it's just in a city and I don't mean just, but so often like the bowls, the orange bowl, the fiesta bowl, the rose bowl, you're at a resort and you got to get on a bus and you got to go over here and everything's so spread out. This was all right here. Atlanta is an awesome city, but it sort of makes me think, oh, then, then Minneapolis could do this. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't 95 degrees here in Atlanta. But uh what's your final takeaway here from the Peach Bowl, Stephen, other than the fact that you've been under the weather the last couple of days and that kind of stinks. But uh yeah. um, he, so. it, it was
1: it was an interesting trip. It was a nice new experience. Um yeah, I I like Atlanta. Um not so much Southwest, but I like Atlanta. Um I miss Camelback, so uh let's get that going again. Um, but I, I do agree with that idea. Indianapolis can do this exact same thing, especially with, you know, they've got those three hotels right there where their JW Marriott is where they could just hold everything in the JW. Now that I've seen it done in a city with that, I mean, Atlanta doesn't get crazy cold, but it does get colder in Atlanta than it does in Miami and L.A. So uh, there's no reason that a northern state can't have a bowl game like this. I, mean, Not that and I see Indiana how Atlanta is-
0: does it. Indy hosted the national title game last year right. and did it. But I also – I just don't know why. I could see a world why, – why do we have to have every quarterfinal and semifinal yeah. within the bowl structure? Like let give a northern spot like one of those games every year. I think that could work. Um, Nathan, what are your final thoughts here on this Peach Bowl journey?
2: You know, it. this is the season where you, you're probably going to ask a lot of what if. What if Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't – I mean, that play doesn't happen. One play doesn't happen against Notre Dame and it changes the course of a whole season. What if uh you know, Trevan Henderson keeps his foot healthy? Um, a bunch of just little what ifs that happen. Whatever happened with Mike Hall, like if he gets to finish off what this season started like for him, and yet they're still one point away, I guess two points away, because that's how you take to win this game, but like they're right there against the best team in college football. Uh, to to bump them off and go on to play for the national championship, and uh, on a night where you ask what if a lot, what if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt, what if even just Cade Stover doesn't get hurt, what if Lathan Ransom stops Brock Bowers a half yard farther back? It's just, um, it, it's it's a it's a hard game to reconcile, I think, for House State fans because there was so much great about it and what turned out to be such a disappointing loss, and it's hard season probably to reconcile because it's so much great things happened. During what turned out to be an ultimately unfulfilling season, and now I'm I'm eager to see uh, what these NFL decisions are because there are some that that are are pretty critical for what this team is going to look like next year, and uh, what they're going to do to address some pretty obvious uh, holes and questions that are are we know about right now and have to be fixed before this team can be back here next year.
0: So that will do it for this edition of Buckeye Talk. I want to say hi to my guy, Grant, who I saw in Centennial Olympic Park walking around on a Saturday morning. Thanks for saying hello. We always like it when you guys come up and say hello. If you ever see any of the three of us out in public, whether it's at a game or someone else, somewhere else, you're not bothering us. You're paying our salaries. So if you ever uh, want to come say, hey, it's always kind of fun to meet up with listeners of Buckeye Talk and with our texters. Um, I'll be curious how this goes down. I'm ready for Ohio state, Georgia part two. I wonder if this might feel it's, it's odd because like Michigan's takes precedent because they got to figure out a way to beat Michigan, but I'm prepared for this to play this next year. The semifinals next year are in the sugar bowl and the Rose bowl again on January 1st. So if you want to mark down Ohio state versus Georgia in one of those two venues, uh, I think probably everybody listening to this, the three of us, everybody in the Ohio State football program would take that. You take your shot. And guess what? Stetson Bennett's going to be gone. So it'll just be some five-star quarterback in his place. Nobody as good as Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's a good player, man. Stetson Bennett, and they did the exact thing, Nathan, as you said. He threw a pick. They dialed it back. He got his confidence back, and then he was ready to roll at the end of the game. So... Uh, credit the Georgia; they were a really good program. And I will tell you, I do think this. I do think this. I do think this. Ryan Day, I think the way he talked, like, didn't know, doesn't know Kirby Smart all that well. Um, I was after their news conference. I was in a, in a, in a hallway with them, and and Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud were there, and Stetson Bennett and Kirby Smart were going in, and like they stopped and said hello and gave like a final handshake and that kind of thing. I think it might be good for Ryan Day to have observed. Kirby Smart, moderately up close this week. Georgia gets it done. I thought in general the vibe from Georgia was an air of professional competence. And they have extremely talented players. But they get after it. They leave no stone unturned. Kirby, I think, like, is is one of those guys like Saban and Urban who like pushes people to the edge, but I think he still exudes um, this sort of calm demeanor on the outside in a lot of ways, and I think it's good for any young coach, and Ryan Day is still a relatively young coach, to be around other great coaches. And I think maybe there's some stuff to to steal from Georgia because they are really good right now, and they are not going anywhere. And we're getting the 12-team playoff after one more season. Guess what? Maybe we won't get Ohio State-Georgia next season. Maybe not. We're going to get it again. We're going to get Ryan Day-Kirby Smart again. So get ready. And last time that happened, Clemson got Ohio State the first time, and then Ohio State got Clemson back the next time. Okay, it's been a fun ride. We're not going anywhere, as Nathan said. We'll have more stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. We'll keep texting. Obviously not as often, but we will still do it. It's fun to stay connected to your team in the offseason sometimes. And then we, of course, will still be doing Buckeye Talk. Here's the plan, though, by the way. We have to get home and it's five o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. I know I am getting in a car on this day that we are in right now, that we are five days, five hours into this day, and I'm gonna drive back to Ohio. So we'll have a pod on Monday, but it's not gonna be in the morning. We're gonna not we're not recording it on Sunday. We're gonna allow ourselves to sleep, we're gonna allow ourselves to get home, and we will record it sometime during the day on Monday, and then get it up as soon as we can. Maybe that'll be in the afternoon, maybe it'll be in the evening. It'll probably be after we watch this rewatch this game, right? It'll be after we take the pulse of the texters a little bit. So we'll bring that to you, but we're going to give ourselves a chance to get back home first. Four. So, and again, listen, you guys have been with us the whole year, right? The whole season, the season's over. It's been a lot of fun. It always is. And uh, I hope, I texted the texters, have fun. I hope you enjoyed. You're, you're disappointed. You're a fan. You're disappointed. You're upset. I hope you enjoyed it too, especially that. That was a great Saturday of football. People will be talking about that in a world where you have Michigan State and Washington and Ohio State one time, like laying eggs in semifinals. Semifinals stink. Those are arguably two of the best, maybe the two best semifinals we've seen in nine years of the playoff. Okay. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was... Buck